Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators. The hosts are Ava Thanheiser, Dusty Jones, and me, I'm Joel Amadon. Today we are talking we are talking with Dr. Jean Lee, who is an associate professor and director of assessment and, and accreditation at the University of Indianapolis. We are talking with to Dr. Lee because she serves as the chair of the AMTE Get the Facts Out Task Force, where Get the Facts Out is a partnership between four national societies, AMT, AMTE being one of them, to change the conversation around STEM teacher recruitment. Welcome, Jean. How are you? I'm fabulous. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on with us. And Ava, how are you? Excellent. Thank you. Fantastic. And Dusty cannot be with us today, but that's okay. We'll we'll carry on. So, Jean, maybe just a little bit, you know, we gave a, your, your kind of like, uh, you know, your titles that you have uh, that coming into this podcast episode, but maybe a little bit more self-introduction. Like, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um so I teach at the University of Indianapolis. I've been there for about 12 years. Um, and right now, currently, I'm teaching elementary um, pre-service teachers to engage in inquiry-based um, methods, part of that being project-based learning. And so they all have their passion projects, and they are implementing how, how do you go about you know, executing these passion projects that they've thought about for three years. And so I'm helping them problem solve, how to critically think, how to move from A to B and to actually have um, to go through some of these challenges and obstacles um, uh, and to actually have a passion project that they're proud of. Um, and I have dabbled in many roles at a small liberal arts university. Um, you wear many hats, right? And so, um, I became a department chair for three years and now I've retired from that role. And now I'm a director of assessment accreditation, looking for all these CAPE reports and SPA reports that I have to do, um, and state reviews. So, um, my roles are always changing, but I enjoy the challenge and, um, new opportunities that I'm always given. Love it. Retire from department chair and just get a relax in uh, in accreditation world. Like that's, that's awesome. That's great. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about what you you know do at the University of Indianapolis with regards to teaching. And I love the idea of passion projects. I think we can dive into that a little bit too. But how did you start teaching math teachers and, and why did you start teaching math teachers? Well, see, actually, I was a high school teacher, um, and I never envisioned um, being a teacher of math teachers. Um, It just kind of evolved that way, I think. Um, So when I started my doctoral program, I started working um, with, you know, I had some research opportunities and involved in some professional development with my advisors. And um, I got kind of pulled in that direction. And I was like, ooh, this is interesting. At first, I was a little intimidated, right? Like, here's a a math teacher. And and what am I to know anything about? And then to train these other math teachers. Um, But I really enjoyed the process of just how teachers transform their ideas and thoughts about what it is to teach and learn. And I found that very rewarding. And so um, I continue to be in that profession. Just curious, like what led to, I mean, just like those, and I was in the same boat, like I was teaching high school mathematics and then, yeah. then I got a nudge. I don't know. What, what was the, yeah. did you, did you get a nudge like to, to, I mean, cause it, all of a sudden you jumped to doctorate degree, but what was I the did. nudge to that? Yeah. So 
Um, I was a, I was a teacher, a high school math teacher in San Diego, and, um, our school wasn't meeting the AYP requirement, um, the annual testing. And so we were forced to undergo, um, either two options, one, close the school down, have it taken over by the state or two, um, pick a reform model and, um, try to figure out what's going on and to improve test scores. So our, our school decided to, it was a one large comprehensive school. And then we decided to break into four autonomous schools. And through um, our school, it was um, to learn, um, to learn content through integrative ways um, so that subjects are not just siloed subjects, but Mm -hmm. to um, figure out how to engage students in learning, not just with just mathematics, but how do you, how do you make it meaningful to students? Yeah. And so during that time, you know, when being a young, uh, fresh out of college teacher, you think, oh, you know, I have all the answers in the world that the university has departed on me. I'm ready to go train. And then I had all these questions about curriculum and assessment and what is the best way, what, what learning strategies really help retain the mathematics content. And so I said, I have all these questions. I, I, they're bothering me so much to the point that I applied to, um, a doctoral program. And that's what led me to, to that pathway. So, you know, we kind of like tried, we think about this podcast as providing like some entry level uh, information and, and thinking about like, you know, if, if you're at like an institution where you're, you don't have a lot of colleagues and everything, but how do you, you know, get access to some of the advice that and, and some of the relationships that we have access to if, through AMTE, right? And so like having the, the these conversations is able to, again, provide access to those sorts of advice and entry level um, information that people might have when they first start thinking about teaching math teachers. So what, what's something that you would have liked to known when you started? So like, well, let's take it back. What, what is the best advice you received when you started in, on this path of teaching math teachers? The best advice that I received was from my uncle, um, who is a retired orthopedic surgeon. And I would go to him frequently in high school and in my college years when um, I would get injured. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is, you know, I was very competitive in gymnastics and other sports, and I would always injure myself. And, you know, from a young age, you are, you're, you're trained as a gymnast that no pain, no gain, right? To relish in that pain, that pain is good. It makes you go further. Um, but in fact, you are neglecting your own body, your own, your, your physical state and your mental state. And so I think that's, what's carried me through, um, in my personal life and in my professional life is that you, it's important to listen to your body, um, whether mentally or physically, because you cannot provide and give with, if your, if your emotional status is not satisfied and complete, Right. And so we in academia, we live in this culture of that doing more is better. Right. You know, working on Saturdays and staying up until two in the morning. Oh, that's that should be something that should receive a gold star. But instead, you know, what's it look like to take the time to enjoy a Saturday, to take the time to sleep early, to have time to fill your own cup? And I think that's been more prevalent even with the Olympics with um, Simone Biles, right? And she's saying, mm-hmm. no, I have the twisties. I cannot, I can't compete. And so it's a different way to look at what, what does it mean to, um, to do your best? Um, and, and I think it's important to listen to your body. And I think that's where I am, t- am today that I'm being fulfilled. I'm, I'm being, I'm happy with my professional, um, with my job just because, I'm listening to my own body first. 
Wow. That's, that's awesome. Like that, that kind of holistic approach to thinking about, you know, all these, all of us, you know, feeds into all the same things. So like, if we're not paying attention to that, that's, that's great. That's, I love that. What, so I guess this might lead into it, but we'll just see, maybe it's the same answer. What advice would you give to someone else starting in this role? Um, Math teachers. The advice that I would give is, is that be comfortable with your journey and it may be fluid. Um, you know, when I started out and got my doctorate, I said, okay, my expertise is in project-based learning. That is my pathway. That is my, my, you know, my goal. That's the path I'm going to stay on. Anything that is not related to, you know, project-based learning, then, then um, I'm going to avoid it. But, you know, being at a small university, it's allowed me to dabble in different opportunities and it's broadened my horizons with just, um, just a lot of different things. Uh, with how the university works, the dynamics of faculty, um, working with other faculty in different departments, um, looking at how things work with state and um, just state accreditation. And so I find myself that um, to be to be comfortable when um, there are different opportunities that arise in the horizon and and to to take note of it and to to explore that option. Awesome. Because if I didn't know, like, for example, you know, I wasn't, um, it wasn't in my plan to be a, a teacher of math teachers. Right? right. And so I, I took, you know, I took those opportunities. And I realized I liked it. You know, um, I didn't know my role was to be, you know, to write these state reports, but I took the role and I looked at data, examined it, analyzed it, you know, and was able to help my department think of better ways to improve the learning of our students right so um i think it's just a perspective in life i'm a very type a person where you know this is my journey it's it's from a to b and it's linear but <laughs> life is not like that right we all know right. life is very uh messy and non-linear um and so that's just something that i've learned to embrace myself um as i become uh as, as I continue in my journey is that, you know, um, the journey is fluid and to, to embrace that. Excellent. Ava, did you have anything to add on there? Check in. I'm really, um, enjoying the focus on balancing work with other aspects of life. And I, I think that's something we should all, especially as we're, um, becoming more the role models in the field versus the junior people, you know, we should model that and talk about it. Um, and I agree, like the weekends are not necessarily for work or the evenings. Doesn't mean you can't do it occasionally if it needs to be done. But um, yeah, I really like that, that balance focus and I think we have to talk more about it and our families to make it an okay thing for everybody to talk about. Yeah. And especially like thinking about the previous conversation that we had with Gary Martin, who's all over the place and he was make, making the case, like, you know, to say no to things, even though he said he fails at it all the time. Well, then we have Gene come on and like, you're, you're getting it done. Like you're, you're figuring it out, like how to, how to take that as a, uh, a balanced, like Ava said, a more balanced approach to it. 
But that, oh, go ahead, Jean. Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, I struggled with this too, right? Like um, the past two weeks when my kid was on fall break and his fall break didn't align with ours. And we only have two days, right? Like it was insane. Um, I was trying to figure out my, my balancing of being a mother, being a wife, being a professional, trying to keep my emails at bay, right? Like, um, and it was, it was comforting to know that my own uh, math ed colleagues, we had, um, we had a three hour meeting with the get the facts out team. Um, and Gary Martin, Tim Hendricks, Amy Roth McDuffie and Glenn Waddell, um, they said, we know you're under stress. You know, your mental health is more important. Um, we, we got this, we'll cover for you. And that was just really comforting to a point that I really just broke down and cried because you have your own colleagues that, uh, that are rallying for you and supporting you. Um, and that's the one thing that I found very particular about people that I work with at AMTE is that it's not just, you know, oh, let's talk about, you know, teaching math teachers, but it's really about how are you doing? How are, how can I help you? You know, um, what are the successes and the pains that's going on in your personal and your professional life? And that's what I find really enriching working with AMTE members. Yeah. I'll, I'll second that. So given that, I mean, so you, you talked about all these different roles that you hold in your life. And so maybe there's some advice on there and how you get, how do you get things done, Jean? <laughs> or how do you get the right things done? How about that? Um, I think I try to get them done early, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I think if you wait at the last minute, things like, oh, the school calls and says your kid is sick, you got to grab them. And so you're like, how do I figure that out? Um, so I think the I think uh, part of it is trying to get things done early um, so that when there's a hiccup that, you know, you can adjust. But I also have this, um, it's kind of a weird technique. Um, I don't know if you heard the Pomodoro technique. Yes, it's, I love time management it. yeah. method. Uh-huh. And it was famous in the 1980s-ish, right? But it's yeah. basically using a timer to break your work into intervals. And it's about usually like 25, 30 minutes um, of work in length. And then you take short breaks. Um, so I kind of adopt that technique. But at the same time, I make sure to put it in my calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, department chair, you know, I had other people who had access to my calendar to write things in. And so I made it a rule that I wouldn't see more than three people a day, you know, uh, you know, on top of the other regular meetings that you yeah. have, but because I needed some time to do my own work. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that by scheduling, okay, from 10 to 11, this is what I'm doing, you know, from 11, 12, this is what I'm doing. It helped me figure out how to get all my writing in my articles in, how to figure out how to prep for my classes, when to grade, all those little details, like it was all in my calendar and that helped me get things done. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I do the same thing. And and it's, I don't know, for me, I'm a little competitive. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to get my prep done for tomorrow's class done in this section of time. And like, you know, because sometimes you daydream like, no, I can, I can focus in on this because like, I want to meet my, meet my challenge. And then again, you're using your time a little bit better. I like that. Ava, had you ever heard of the Pomodoro technique? I hadn't heard about the name, but I'm doing a similar thing in my calendar. Nice. I think there's actually a tomato. It's like a tomato timer, right? There was like a, that was actually had it. So if you see it, like, a, like why is there tomatoes all over the place for these Pomodoro timers? Like, that's why. It's like, a, again, a kitchen timer or something that it started as. Look into it. Anyway, um, but let's let's talk, Gene, about uh well, anything else about how you get things done? Anything other you want to like 
golden nuggets that you want to share? Um, yeah, I wanted, I was thinking about this, right? Like how, how did I come to be where I am with my journey? And I think, um, you know, I came to Indiana, uh, not knowing a single soul, don't have any family members here. Right. And I think part of what I was, um, most concerned about was finding community. Right. Mm. And so I think as, as math educators, as we start out, um, I think it's important to find that community, to find that tribe, right? And um, when I, during my, as a junior faculty, I, I went to a whole bunch of conferences, right? And I yeah. learned quickly which conferences spoke to me um, and the type of people that were kind of in those conferences and which conferences didn't. And I automatically gravitated though to those conferences that where I felt supported and where I thrived. And I felt like AMTE and NCTM were, were kind of like my tribe, right? Mm. And if you don't have a community or a tribe, then make one up, right? Yeah. And so, you know, we at, in Indiana, we didn't have a, an affiliate for AMTE in Indiana. And so a whole bunch of Hoosier math educators decided to get in a room, said, let's make this happen. And so we, um, you know, became an affiliate um, of AMTE and um, that started out to be my tribe. And, you know, there's still wonderful colleagues of mine and we keep in touch and we actually did a math science partnership state grant. Um, and so it's just been really rewarding to, um, to find people uh, that will support your journey because um, you hold each other accountable for that. Yeah. It's more fun to do it together too. Like, Absolutely. Uh, on your own. It's great. Um, excellent. Now, thanks for sharing that. And yeah, I like that. You know, finding the people, finding those people that you can connect with. That's as a professional, that's, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so tell us a little bit about get the facts out. So, you know, you are the, uh, the, the chair of the task force for AMTE's uh, portion of it. And so, Tell us a little bit, what, how, what is it and how did you get involved? Sure. So Get the Facts Out is an NSF grant that is um, from the Colorado School of Mines. And um, like you said earlier in the, in the introduction, um, it's comprised of four national societies, um, APS, which is the physics organization, ACS, which is the chemistry, um, the chemical society, and then the AAPT, which is the Physics Education Association, and then AMTE, which is, which is ours. Um, and so the goal of Get the Facts Out is to um, help change the narrative of the teaching profession. Um, we obviously know that there is um, a gap, uh, we, uh, you know, there's a need for um, STEM teachers um, in general, just all teachers across the nation, right? There's a shortage. And right. so um, the Get the Facts Out kind of looked at, you know, what's causing the shortage? Why is there a shortage? And, and then they looked at data and said, well, this doesn't make sense. The data looks really good. You know, why is there a shortage? And so what, what the, the GFO team is trying to do is to change that narrative through data to dispel myths or, um, uh, or misperceptions of what it is, what, of, of, the, of what teaching is. Um, and so that's where AMT is trying to get involved and in saying, okay, we noticed that there is a shortage of teachers, but there's also a shortage of mathematics teachers. And so how do we as AMTE get involved um, to change that narrative of what mathematics teaching is like? 
Yeah. And so what are some things that like um, that AMTE is doing in association with get the facts out? Yeah. So AMTE, um, they put out a call. Let's, let's, I'm going to take it back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they put out a call, I think sometime like last year, May or April, April of um, 2019. And um, at that time, you know, I um, decided I wanted to get involved um, just because I wanted to work again with other AMTE members. And so, you know, I was kind of lonely um, doing my chair thing and I was like, I want to get involved again. And so I got, I was lucky to be picked and um, along with my other four colleagues and um, we were working on um, trying to understand the get the facts that materials, what's the materials, what data do they have? We really did a deep drop dive on those materials. Um, and um as we were working together as a team, uh, we said, okay, what can we do? What flavor can we add as AMTE? And one of the things that's been really important on all our minds is about um, looking at equity and diversity, right? So, you know, how do we um, still use the Get the Facts Out materials, but also provide this um, flavor of talking about equity and diversity um, through that lens of recruitment of math teachers. And so that's been something that um, the, the AMTE change agents is what we call, we call ourselves. We've been really working on um, and creating slides that speak to equity and diversity and also looking at specific slides to make sure that they are um, really mathematics specific data to math teaching. Nice. Um, And so like, I know, um, we had a little, there's a little mini conference that was a few weeks ago where you got a chance to dive into some of the materials and it's, it is kind of amazing. We'll put a link to get the, get the facts out website. It's amazing. Like what they have just available for anyone. So if, you know, someone's out there thinking like, you know, I'm at an institution and we're thinking about recruiting teachers and I wish I had some of this data. Well, it's readily available. Like, you know, there's stuff that's ready to go. Right. I mean, like you could literally print something and post it if you wanted to, but then there's things that you can adapt for your own purposes, for your own uh, institution's branding or whatever, or even if you're at a math coach and you want to put out uh, opportunities for your, you know, uh, high school graduates and thinking about becoming teachers, like, again, there's materials there for it, but and what are some of the surprising things that you've seen from some of the resources that Get the Facts Out has available for ready use? Um, so one of the things that we did at our institution was, um, that as I was learning about these resources, right. Um, that they're tan, like you said, they're tangible, um, things that you could adapt and make it your own. And so we used one of their brochures that they have. It's like a poster. Um, we left the font the same. We just switched out, the color scheme and kind mm-hmm. of added our own brand, our logo brand. And we put it all over our math and science hallways. Um, and then we also um, created a website that's part of our, our university oh, of cool. Indianapolis school of education stuff. And we're using some of those, get the facts out, like, you know, fact one, a career in teaching is satisfying fact two, there are loan forgiveness programs for teaching degrees and fact three teachers can retire comfortably and, um, and so forth. And so, um, it's been wonderful to use data and resources that 
the GFO team has already created and vetted through research. Um, and to just use it for our own personal, you know, because uh, everyone's struggling with trying to figure out how to recruit teachers. Um, and so that's been really, really helpful. Yeah, and they have some fairly strong, like even if you just go to the website, you see that, you know, they have a statement right in the middle, like right at the heart of the website, like teachers rate their lives better than all other occupation groups, trailing only physicians. And like, I don't know how many of the listeners out there would say like, they would be, you would have made that statement, right? That, you know, yeah, I like my job, but like, would you actually say that statement? Like now they have some research back statements that you can make. So, which is pretty neat. It's also interesting. I think uh, the GFO team ha- has tried to study like where's this disconnect, right? Where, mm-hmm. why, why do we have this narrative or this media perception of oh, teaching is a bad profession? But then, you know, it, all of a sudden we have this thing that says teachers rate their lives better than all occupation groups, trailing only behind physicians. And so they've done these um, small studies of putting a teacher in the room with a STEM. Um, professional, someone who is working in the industry. And so Mm -hmm. as they talk about their daily lives, um, what ends up happening is that the teachers start valuing their own profession because they realize that the the lifestyle and the career of a person that's in industry, um, you know, it's it's about the same. It's just really intense, right? It's just And then, and then teachers end up seeing the value and they, they, they appreciate their own, their own profession. Um, Yeah. Ava, did you have anything? I don't don't know how much exposure you've had to the get the facts out materials. I haven't really had any exposure. And so it was really helpful to, to learn what some of those facts are. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And so again, we'll post all sorts of uh, the links to those resources. So, but there's, we have an opportunity though, that we can share that people can actually sign up for. I don't know if you wanted to share that, Jean. Yeah. Yeah. So on February 9th, which is a day before the AMTE conference, um, crossing my fingers that we are going to be meeting face to face because it has been a long time and I miss my AMTE colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, but on February 9th, um, from 10 to 5 30, there is a pre-conference before the, a- the actual AMTE conference. And we are going to be um, teaming up with MTEP and doing um, an all-day kind of uh, pre-conference workshop. And we're going to be doing a deep dive on some of your local data, looking at your data about teaching salaries, um, looking at your baseline teaching salaries for math teachers versus a 15-year, um, what what a 15 uh what a seasoned teacher that's in their 15th year of teaching um, earns. And so, um, and looking at loan forgiveness programs um, and those kinds of things so that you can be equipped to take all this data and use it for your, for yourself and your university um, at your local context. So. And is, there's, there's a zoom option too, right? There's a, like a virtual option for the conference. Yes. There is a Zoom option. And so um, I think I, I can give you that link. Um, yep, we have the link from when Gary was on too. So we can just post that again within the show notes. So it's got the agenda and the registration link, I believe is at the bottom too. Awesome, so, awesome. So yeah, lots of cool stuff. And a cool partnership between MTEP and Get the Facts Out. So and um, yeah, so, the, the, so they can sign up for that. They can learn more about it. They can go to the website. And so again, um, uh, but also too, there's been some presentations by you all, right? You and the you and the 
Gene and the change agents. That should be like a band or something. Uh, <laughs> but um, at some of the affiliate meetings, I know uh, that's where I be, first became aware of it is that uh, I believe uh, Glenn and Tim came to our uh, MAMT affiliate meeting and gave a presentation. So like, the, so the band goes on the road, right. To, to provide some, uh, some presentations to, to, again, see like what, what can get the facts out, what, are, what can be done uh, from the local level or the regional level, whatever state level. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the band, the band goes on the road. Yes. We go on the road. If you want to be part of our band, you know, just let us know. And we would be happy to do a webinar via zoom or, um, you know, with you. Um, and what we sometimes, what we found successful is we find, you know, one or two affiliate members who are really interested so that they can spearhead it for their own affiliate as well. And we work with them and saying, okay, you take this part of this presentation and we'll take these parts and um, and we have a discussion about you know these the PowerPoint slides that GFO has put out and the data that they've mined you know um, and it's been really good um, working with um, affiliates who've reached out to us and say hey would you be willing to do you know a webinar for affiliate and and we are happy more than happy to do that for yeah. you yeah and so that's like being a focal point of our affiliate meetings and so um, you know after that after seeing the meeting seeing the resources I had my institution do a little kind of like what you're talking about editing of some of the resources so that one, we shared them through our, you know, social media channels and stuff. And now our recruiter has access to them, but then also too, it was like proof of concept for, Hey, here's how you could do it for the local affiliates. Like, you know, this is how you can use some of these materials. And now we're going to brainstorm about that even more. So yeah, it's, that it was a good catalyst for us to, to be thinking about how to, again, le- leverage these awesome resources available to us to, in order to, again, change the narrative. So Thanks for all the work that the that y'all are doing. This is wonderful. Another thing I want to talk about, because um, I heard you talk about the, you know, these um, passion projects and things that kids are doing and you heard about problem-based learning, but I also know you have a, you have a book uh, that I'd like to, can you just talk a little bit about the book that you have from, it's from NCTM, right? It's Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, Enrique Galindo and I just recently published a book. Um, I think it was like, it came out March or April of, of this year. And it is called Project-Based Learning in Elementary Classrooms, Making Mathematics Come Alive. And in that book, there are a series of project-based learning units that teachers have um, classroom tested in their own classrooms. And so they share their experience about what those projects were like and how they helped the community and the kind of content, the mathematical content and other kinds of skills that their own students have learned. Um, and so that's the elementary version. We also were fortunate to do um, uh, NCTM published a 2018 book um, that kind of is parallel to that, which was the high school version of the PBL units, which is called Rigor, Relevance, and Relationships, Making Mathematics Come Alive uh, with Project-Based Learning. So we have two books through NCTM, one that is you know for high school projects um, and middle school projects, and one that's really for elementary. And you know, did this passion for problem-based learning like emerge from that initial, um, you know, thinking about how to make integrated units as a high school teacher? Like, I don't know, did, did that kind of, was that the genesis of um, some of this stuff? Yeah. So our program, we, we had a uh, Woodrow Wilson 
Indiana Teaching Fellowship Program, and we also had a Teach STEM Cube Noise Program. Um, and the, both of those programs are, are clinically based um, programs, uh, residency programs. And those programs, we used a lot of project-based learning. And so as we did that in our program, our, our school just started to pick up and say, hey, what's what's one program? This one program is doing about something about with project-based learning and they're preparing teachers. Um, and so it kind of you know, infiltrated other programs in our school. And so I think that's where the elementary um, program redesigned uh, their, their experience for their students to say, okay, let's, let's have something like the, like the project-based learning, but yeah. we'll call them passion projects. So. Love it. Love it. I love this. I mean, it's kind of a theme of being holistic, right? About like with the problem-based learning is kind of the same thing and talking about how do we take care of ourselves in, in doing this thing called teaching math teaching. So that's awesome. And anything, any, uh, any final words, Jean, before we close out? No, it's just been awesome to talk to you guys. Um, yeah, it was a great experience. Thank you for this. Awesome. Ava, do you have anything to close us out? I just really enjoyed talking to Jean. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. So thank yeah, thank you, Gene, for coming. And thanks again for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you're able to implement something that you just heard and take an opportunity to interact with other math teacher educators. Uh, again, the show notes will have the links to everything we talked about. And speaking of interacting, what do you want to hear about in upcoming podcasts? What do you want to hear from? Who do you want to hear from? Let us know through the virtual suggestion box. Find it at the contact us page at teachingmathteachingpodcast.com or in the show notes for this episode.